Hello and welcome to the Mustn't Grumble podcast with me, writer and comedian Ian Moore. If you've not listened before, this is my attempt to try and change my outlook on life. Um, actually, having said that, that's far too ambitious. I'm just, I'm just trying to be a bit more positive about things, that's all. I'm like my own spin doctor now. Um, I guess things, things have always got to me and niggled away at any kind of fleeting contentment. Um, so now, in theory, I'm going to be brushing them aside with a with a ha ha and a nonchalant shrug. Anyway, like I can say that's that's the theory. For those who have listened before, I have an apology. I initially said that this would be every fortnight, but in truth, I've been completely blown away by the feedback and support for it. Uh, so I don't want to just bang out an episode because there's a deadline. I want each one to have a bit of relevance, um, a bit of soul. And also, last week I was on holiday. Now, um, I've had to argue this point before when people say, and not without some justification that my life is a holiday anyway. I mean, on paper it sounds like it. I live in France, I write books, I perform comedy, I run a B&B, I'm gradually working my way up to grandmaster status in the knowledge of French rosé wine. So, you know, I can see the point. It sounds idyllic, but it's, it's rarely as straightforward as that. And I wasn't supposed to be going on holiday anyway. I was supposed to be going back to the UK to work. But seeing as I'm not coming from the subcontinent carrying some duty-free COVID variant, but just a fully jabbed bloke hopping over the channel, things were too complicated to bother, frankly. So I went on holiday instead. I hadn't realised over the last 15 months or so of COVID just how itchy my feet had become um, in a travel sense. That is not some kind of athlete's foot thing. Because for the last 16 years, I've been on the road almost constantly, which gives you a mindset of almost constant fidgeting as well. Never sitting down for long, even when you're at home. Never even unpacking your own toilet bag in your own bathroom. And also, I have to admit, as a result of a constant fixation with schedules and timetables, I developed a pettiness that doesn't just border on neurosis, but embraces it like an old friend. Well, I hadn't had that for 15 months. Actually, that's not true. The pettiness never went. <laughs> I just hadn't got an excuse for it. I needed, I realised, some some time alone. Now, when you're married and you tell people that you're going on holiday without your partner, eyebrows are raised, something's wrong, they assume. But I joke about it and just say that my wife, Natalie, was begging me to go away so that she could have a break. Well, I thought it was a joke. It turned out it wasn't. For various reasons, not COVID-related or my breakdown thing last year, we've had a really tough 12 months or so. External pressures on a marriage while you're confined have a way of becoming uh, as pinpoint accurate as acupuncture, I guess, knowing really how to hurt, knowing the exact spot to hit to cause maximum pain, like someone has a voodoo doll on your relationship. I mean, we're rightly proud of how we've, well we've done as a team. We met at 17, 30-odd years later, three kids down the line. We are as strong as ever, but that doesn't mean each doesn't need a release every now and then. Um, and confinement had added to that pressure, as it has to everyone. But I felt that there was something missing. Not in our marriage, in me. I didn't know what, I don't, you know, but Natalie felt the same way. There's a scene in City Slickers. Yeah, that's how highbrow this is. But there's a scene in City Slickers where Patricia Wittig tells Billy Crystal to go and find your smile. 
and that's the stage we were at. And that's almost exactly what Natalie said to me. Um, well, she said go, um, but that was close enough. So I decided that as the UK and work wasn't an option, I'd go to Nice instead, which if this podcast is my own chemical alley, doesn't really need much of a spin at all. Mm, you know, what's the choice here? A Premier Inn near the M25 or the Côte d'Azur? And I w- all right, uh, one of the things about missing going to the UK was that I would actually miss out on a promised boozy lunch with my publisher, which is something that tragically I've always dreamed about having. But I was going to the glamorous south of France instead, so literally here at this point, I mustn't grumble. I travelled up to Paris for the first night and had a lovely evening with friends before I had to rush back to my hotel in the Marais district to avoid breaking the 9pm curfew that was still um, in application then. And even that felt a bit romantic. As usual, I was living just this fantasy in my head. I, I I was in occupied land, running missions, avoiding the authorities. Which is exactly the kind of self-deception that's kept me going over the years of travel. <laughs> that it was that I had to always make out that it was more important than it really was. The next morning, though, I made uh, a rookie error. And one that wouldn't have been made if I wasn't a bit rusty as an international gadabout. Even a traveller much, much less experienced than I am wouldn't have made this mistake. You see, you do not ever, ever decide to walk four kilometres from your hotel to the Gare de Lyon on the morning of the hottest day of the year so far, during rush hour, carrying two heavy bags, wearing a suit and wearing Basswegian loafer boots. You just don't do it. By the time I got to the Gare de Lyon, I was sweating so much I looked like I'd been through a car wash. And it was just, it was just pouring out of me like I was some kind of moving water feature. And my feet were killing me raw in in the footwear. My bags felt like dead weights and I don't travel lightly in any sense of the phrase. I used to do a joke years ago about Ryanair charging me for my mental baggage. Uh, Did you pack this baggage yourself, sir? No, no, my wife and kids helped enormously. Anyway, why did I do it, you wonder? Why put myself through that even, you know, I could have seen it happening. Firstly, I think I got suckered in. For the first time in four, maybe five years, I'm pain-free. I'm on incredibly expensive drugs now for the rheumatoid arthritis. Thank you, French Health Service. And they've really taken hold. I'm, I'm cycling, swimming, playing cricket and table tennis with the boys, chasing after the dogs, contemplating serious exercise. I say contemplating, don't hold me to that. It feels it feels almost miraculous, but that that's not the only reason. The main reason, I think, is that I just couldn't face the Paris metro. Not in rush hour, not with luggage, not during a pandemic, and not with the dreaded knowledge that it will give me awful, possibly uncontrollable panic attacks caused by memories of travel disasters over the years. Even a cascade of sweat, bleeding feet, and what now felt like two bags of slate strung over my shoulders was preferable to going underground. I just couldn't face that. Of course, what it meant was that when I did eventually arrive in Nice some six hours later, more relaxed, a lot less sweaty, but feet still inflamed and raw like a baboon's ass, there was no way I was going to walk to my rented apartment all the way across town. So I got a taxi, and that there was the first of the ah bollocks to it, I'm on holiday, I'll spend what I like.
If the idea had been to go and find my smile, then Nice does that for me immediately. I don't know what it is exactly. The light, the constant Mediterranean breeze, the forgotten splendour of the architecture near the station, the labyrinthine old town, the faded glamour of the promenade des Anglais. I don't know. I could go on. It's also, for me, more than that. It's the memories. I've been to Nice a dozen times at least in my life and it just feels like home and I don't know why. Do you ever go somewhere where you know that just being there will lift your spirits? Like an actual big place, not a shed. I mean an actual town or place like that. For me it's Nice. I first came here in 1982. I was 11 and it was our first family holiday abroad. It was impossibly different and glamorous compared to England, certainly back then. Even even the supermarkets were breathtaking to me. I bought a copy, uh, a vinyl copy of Complete Madness in a small supermarket, Prisunik, I think it was called, on the Place Garibaldi. And I realised from a very early age that I really like foreign, whatever that means. I just like foreign. I still do. But it wasn't the difference in the shops or the food, not only anyway, but the women on the beach... Now, you know, I apologise for this, but, you know, this is this is the truth here. And the beaches in France, let's let's be perfectly honest about this as well, are um, absurdly uncomfortable, the ones in Nice anyway, are absurdly uncomfortable, biggest grains of sand in the world. That's a joke, by the way, they're pebbles, all right? Never mind. The women on the beach were almost all topless. Now, to an 11-year-old boy, this wasn't just a different country. This This was a completely different planet. Nice changed my life that holiday, and I've always come back, certainly when I felt like I needed the boost that it gave me. Ten years after I first came there, then 92, I came back after finishing my degree in London, and I was I was rootless, I was down, I was resentful, um, and came to Nice looking for a job on the boats. Go and see the world was, was my thought feeling but the people who own the boats uh, felt completely differently and I left Nice still rootless and down and resentful but not before I'd sneaked over to Monte Carlo and got dressed up and walked up the red carpet to the casino pretending, you know, pretending I was a somebody and camera flashes went off and it and it felt it felt slightly surreal and then it just all came crashing to a halt because I heard this northern English voice behind one of the, uh, one of the barriers of the casino say who the fuck's that then? But still, I've always come back to Nice. I've gigged in Nice half a dozen times, been here with Natalie and the boys two or three times, and they were all, pleasingly, as taken with it as I was and still am. And I I know I'm labouring the point here, and I apologise, but Nice is part of me. Could I live here? I don't know. It will be far too busy in the high summer months. The whole world loves Nice. The whole world comes to Nice, and that is its problem as well. That's what's caused its pain. And it's also the reason I needed to come back myself. On the 14th of July, 2016, during Bastille Day celebrations, a terrorist in a lorry drove down the promenade des Anglais, mowing down anyone in the way of his vehicle. In total, including the terrorist himself, there were 87 deaths and 400 34 people injured it all happened in less than five minutes it's just horrifying carnage here's something i wrote at the time i wasn't there 
I have no right to claim some kind of kinship with the victims nor any idea of the grief that those affected directly or the luckier, albeit traumatised, bystanders are suffering. But this one has hit me harder than the others. I spend my life travelling and therefore an awful lot of time in what are considered target areas, airports, train stations, undergrounds, docks, travelling between Paris, London and other major cities and by necessity I think you build up a shell of course you're vigilant, but some of that comes from a natural distrust of people anyway. I'm always wary to a certain extent, but I don't believe you can travel as much as I do and do so in fear. You'd never get out the front door. You see, I've been very lucky, and that adds to an attitude of, if not exactly invincibility, then at the very least, confidence. I'll be all right. But as I watched the early reports from Nice come in, it all felt too close. We've holidayed there as a family, walked up and down the promenade des Anglais dozens and dozens of times, the younger ones going off ahead, briefly losing them in the party atmosphere crowd that is central to that special part of France, doing with our children what my parents did with me and my sister on the same road 30 years ago on my first visit. I've gigged in Nice and walked the back streets as the sun came up, ostentatiously still dressed in stage wear and feeling, as I still do, that it's a spiritual home. I love the place, and what happened last Thursday night has affected me deeply. I wrote that, um, I remember being in London at the time, and for the first time in my career as a stand-up, I couldn't go on stage. I was just too, too traumatised. So having not been back in these since, since before 2016, it, it felt oddly like I'd betrayed the place, turned my back on her. And I know that's not logical, but sadness, really deep-seated melancholy, isn't always logical. Maybe it was and still is a projection for something else, I don't know. But I sought out the memorial to the victims, which is in the gardens of the Musée de Messina. And I stood there for a good while and I cried. I felt like it was a necessary pilgrimage, if you like, but <laughs> it's hardly the ingredients for me finding my smile. The salvation for that, I think, lay 20 metres or so from the memorial itself, the Hotel Negresco, which for over 100 years has been the kind of eye-catching symbol of the glamour of Nice with its pink art deco, stucco, dome. I don't really know much uh, about architecture, but the, the Hotel Negresco, the big reception area of the Hotel Negresco, is also the place where they did a lot of the triage for the injuries of that, that, that terrible event in 2016. But it is so glamorous there, so I booked a table for one for the following evening. I was going to do this properly. I'd even I'd planned to do this meal thing anyway, but and I'd planned my my outfit before I'd even left home. I think it's fair to say that what I've missed most about not working as a comedian isn't the stage or the laughter, certainly not the travel. It's this: it's dressing up and turning heads, striding through an airport, for example, dressed better than anyone else, knowing it, and getting admiring looks as you do so. And the evening of my table for one dinner date I got dressed up to the nines and I walked through the port and the old the old town of Nice by an admittedly very circuitous route and loved every bloody second of it 
What's that old description of, of James Bond? Men want to be him and women want to be with him. Now, I mean, clearly this does not apply to me, but when you're peacocking like this, and this really is first-class peacocking, that's what you have to believe. I was, I was turning heads. Some women did smile at me as I passed. Some men did grip their partners tighter too. And I know damn well this is rampant narcissism. I know that. But bloody hell, I needed it. I think... I think over the last year or so, I've forgotten a little bit about who I am. And that one 40-minute walk, suited-up walk, reminded me exactly who I am. A shallow, insecure popinjay with delusional tendencies and ideas well above his station. And by Christ, I'd miss the security blanket of that. The walk back to the apartment after a fantastic meal, by the way, um was very different. In the four days I was in Nice, I had, according to my fitness watch, walked 80 kilometres, and it had taken its toll. I mean, it all started in Paris, obviously, with that stupid walk there, but having done another 80 kilometres, not in loafers, <laughs> I hasten to add, but I'd, I, I, I attempted to walk back from the Hotel Negresco in the same kind of um, manner that I'd walked to it, but my feet, <laughs> raw and bleeding in my in my shoes um like debbie reynolds after filming the good morning good morning routine with gene kelly in singing in the rain there you go how's that for vanity i've never ever compared myself to debbie reynolds before but i limped up the steps to my apartment i could barely walk but now this was definitely not peacocking but i hadn't been that happy in ages it was so it felt really freeing in, a, in an odd way and I sat on the balcony overlooking the port and I texted Natalie and as the text was I think we should move here that's what I texted and she replied almost immediately she said really you mean you mean in 10, 10 or 15 years when we retire no I sent back immediately I think we should move here next Thursday she didn't reply um, I don't know why I mean you know does she want me to find my smile or not Thanks, uh, as always, for listening to this odd ramble, really. Please share with others if you think they'll enjoy it. Also, please keep the feedback coming either on social media or via email at mustn'tgrumblepod at gmail.com. The feedback, as I said earlier, has just been amazing. Um, I'm glad it really chimes with people. Um, I'm glad that people find it a help, an entertaining help. Um, Whatever you take from it, please let me know. It's, it's really satisfying. Uh, take care of yourselves. I am actually going over to the UK next week because uh, I've got a book launch and I have to quarantine. Um, so look after yourselves. Give yourselves a break. And I'll be back soon. <laughs>